What's up, everybody, and welcome back. Welcome back to the Bridging the Gap podcast. I thought I would um, start off as the OGs, remember? We have a blue 3D energy drink, Berry Blue. This is one for the books. Lovely. That is lovely, that is. Um, I hope you're all well. I've got a new cloud uplifter for my... You don't know what that is, do you? So a cloud uplifter increases the gain of your microphone. So right now you're on my microphone. I have a knob here which I can turn really quiet or I can make it really loud. And essentially what I was doing is is I had my gain, which is the input again, um, on my um, audio interface to max because the Shure SM7B, which is the mic that I use, I think Big Joe Rogan uses this one as well, um, I think he copied me, by the way. With <laughs> um, the gain of the Shure SM7B, I had to have it on max. And it kind of messes with the audio a little bit. You get the odd crackle, the odd pop. And now um, I don't have to have it on max. Because when I have it on max, it sounds like this. And it sounds a bit too much for your ears, doesn't it? So now I can actually be in control of my voice. And be in control of... You can't really tell the difference, can you? No, me either. <laughs> I'm going to go through just a few questions just to get myself talking, limber up a little bit. Um, but first, I want to give you a little bit of an update on my life. So I was, first of all, I finished my mini cut pretty much, and I'm in a maintenance phase. So I've been trying to find maintenance in that process. Now, when you come out of a deficit, you've got to appreciate that you've already created this deficit. You've already created this um this X amount of calories into this deficit, more likely not going to be 200 calories, right? It's probably going to be a thousand or so calories into a deficit or whatever, whatever it takes you to lose um, your body fat or whatever you need to lose. And then I went to a maintenance phase. Um, and in doing that, you've got to just bring your calories up slowly. There's no point me firing loads of food in to try and find maintenance because what if you miss shoot it? I'd much rather be meticulous with it, especially considering we've got time on our side. And really, I'm just trying to focus on getting super, super healthy at the moment. Um, so I made an initial bump up in food to 425 carb uh, in fact I do calories I did a, an initial bump up from 27 calories to 29 calories I then went to 3.2 and now uh, I average about 3.4 and my body weight is still stable that's because I've gradually brought myself out of the deficit and because I'm in that super sensitive state it's essentially a reverse diet because I'm in that super sensitive state of I've been in a calorie def- hypocaloric where I've increased my demand for food because I've decreased the input of food, I now have a bigger ability to partition that food. I have a bigger ability to partition the 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 the, the, car- the carbohydrates, the proteins, the fats, macronutrient macronutrient partitioning, uh, and I really feel feel I feel it in my bones, in my energy, in my my day to day, my step, my hop in my step. I can feel that energy much more as I come up. So therefore where I've put my calories up, 25, 50 carb, uh, my output's gone up and I'm training way harder and I'm feeling way better because of it. So in doing that, I've put my out, I've put my input up, but also my output has risen. Therefore, that calorie equation hasn't changed crazy amounts. Therefore, I've kind of, st- I've kind of continued to lose weight, really. I was 104.4 this morning and I had a 103.9 two days ago, bearing in mind that I called it quits at 105. And I've put, only put my food up since 105, but my weight has continued to drop. So that's pretty good news to me. It tells me my metabolism is roaring. It tells me I'm ready to grow. We're kind of just holding off the trigger now. 
um, ready for that blast inbound and kind of push into a super physiological range again. I'm spending the next four to six weeks in, at TRT. Um, I remember, if you guys remember, I did say that I was running 150 milligrams of testosterone, which put me about 38, 39 nanomoles per liter, which is about 15 points on a nanomole scale um, above where I was naturally. I sat about 24, 25 naturally, so it was about was about 10 points up, really, um, which is which is pretty cool, uh, pretty cool, pretty good, pretty fine. Um, I didn't have crazy results from my blood test that I got done. Sorry, I was also running 300 milligrams of Primo, so a total dose of 450 milligrams um, for the last 14 weeks after my blast. Um, I ran blood work. Um, it all came back pretty decent considering I've not been physiological, which I'm really, really happy about. The only thing I wanted to con- to address was my EGFR. Those of you guys who f- who who watched the video, um, the the blood work video, which is up on YouTube, uh, my EGFR was like 55, which actually on the scale of EGFR is like stage three kidney disease. But we know that the calculation that they use during EGFR takes creatinine into the consideration, and it uses your a few different equation, a few different um, numbers to work out. But immediately, as soon as you bring creatinine into an equation for a bodybuilder, the EGFR is skewed because the creatinine is skewed. You take creatine, you eat more protein, you you have more muscle protein breakdown. You're going to have higher levels of creatine, creatinine, and your kidney markers are going to be skewed in general because you're constantly training. So that marker is a little dodge. And I know that, I know the YouTube doctors say, no, it's not. No, it's not. Well, yes, it fucking is, all right? I know it is. I fucking did the math, mate. I've done the math. I know. Please, give me a break, mate. Um, But we'll tell you one thing. If there is a marker or two that maybe is a cause for concern, and that's what that was. That was a cause for concern. So I was concerned. Okay, so what does that mean? Okay, EGFR skewed my okay. Well, that makes sense because my creatinine is skewed, but still that number is low. So let's actually just do some more in-depth analysis here. Okay, so what can I take? What can I do that will mark my kidney stress even more? I can do a urinary albumin test, so I can piss in a bowl, send it off, and they'll tell me the stress that my kidneys are under on a day-to-day basis, which is a much more accurate are much more accurate because they can measure the levels of creatinine in your wheat. They can measure amounts of albumin in your wheat. They can make a ratio and they can give you a very accurate representation of what your kidneys are excreting. A little bit more than the EGFR that is skewed by X, Y, and Z. So did that, came back really, really good. So I actually kind of put my, my mind at ease with my kidneys because I've always had a little bit of high blood pressure. Even when I was natural, I had high blood pressure. Um, I'm going to be implementing an ARB, an angiotensin receptive blocker. Uh, which is basically like uh, what, it's a, what it says, an angiotensin blocker. So it's going to reduce the amount of pressure that goes through your blood walls. It's going to reduce your blood pressure, essentially. I'm going to be using Telmasart in it. I've lost how many milligrams a day? How many milligrams a day? I don't know. I probably shouldn't t- say doses anyway because you've got to do your own research about these things. But I'm going to start implementing that soon, so I'm hoping I'm going to see some good markers in terms of my blood pressure. Uh, we know that from... The cause for concern, the EGFR, we did a urinary album test and that one checked out, which is a little bit more accurate than the EGFR for my kidney markers, so I'm happy with that. They weren't like amazingly good, they weren't like off the charts good, they were just, they were alright, they were good, they were just, yeah, fine, If you, most people will be around the same, so I'm not too bad about that. Everything else was in place, um, hormones, my HDL cholesterol was a little low, but notoriously, like it was 083 
uh, nanomoles, which means when I was natural, I was 0.98, so I'm 0.15 off that. Considering I've been super physiological, considering I'm not used things like niacin, you can use a you can use a niacin flush in the morning, which reminds me, I will uh, pop my niacin right now. So you can have a niacin flush, which can actually massively work on that HDL um, that HDL pathway. I'd, I'd recommend going to check out. Sorry, I probably shouldn't do this in the middle of the podcast, but. I know I need to do it in the morning. Um, you should go check out Dr. Dean's um, Dr. Dean's story on niacin. I'm gonna drink this. 500 milligrams of niacin. So niacin can work quite well with bringing up HDL acutely. Um, this is a dodgy podcast, isn't it? I'm drifting up things in here. Um, so I started at like 500 milligrams and I'll work up to a gram. Um, and you do get like you do get like a nice and flush. You do get hot flushes, which is not the nicest thing in the world. I am just about to go see my uh, my accountant as well. I'm gonna have a bright red face, which is gonna be cool. <laughs> He's gonna be like, "You're right." Be like, yeah, I'm fine. Nice and flush, mate. I'm trying to get me HDL up. Um, so my HDL was a little bit low, 0.83. Um, again, I'm not too worried about 0.8 because I, I kind of fall there naturally, well, 0.9 naturally. But I'm gonna try bring that up in. And get, how do you fix markers that are out? You just go back to a physiological range. So that's why I went to a physiological range. I'm down to 125 meg. Uh, in fact, I'm doing 120 meg of testosterone and anthate per week. So that would leave me 20, 24, 25 nanomoles per liter probably. Um, so right where I fall naturally, which hopefully will treat me well and put me in the, in the position where I need to be to be able to push up again. And then I will go ahead uh, and push up into a super physiological range. We're probably going to look at using testosterone, primobolin, and tren. <laughs> you think I'm joking, but I'm not. I mean, the, the the way that I'm deciding on what substances I'm using is really just what has long-term efficacy over, over long-term studies and in terms of therapeutic doses. So we know that things like primobolin, they've got long-term human use. They've been approved for human use. They've been approved for women's use as well, which is another good one because we know that women are going to have higher and androgenic side effects. So we're going to have less androgenic side effects from something that they used up to 1.3 grams in women. So 1,300 milligrams they use the primobolin. Um, so we know that long-term dose at 1,300 milligrams, you're probably going to be fine. I'm not using 1.3 grams of primobolin per week, no way. But that's what they were doing in the studies at therapeutic doses, and they noted that there was really, really little side effects from using up to that much. So it, this is part of this new model that I've been developing. I've been having some podcasts recently with Joe Jeff. Uh, I've been having some consultations recently with Joe Jeffrey. Um, we've done four or five up to this point, where I've just been going over my anabolic knowledge and trying to really just fucking know this shit and not put out shit information anymore. Uh, we, we we have that ability to see the long-term efficacy of certain drugs and we can see the therapeutic doses used and we can see the long-term like testosterone has a hundred years of data you know trend has like 50 years of data psalms they don't have as much years of data and long-term use so you'd kind of stay away from those but the reason why i said trend there is because we know it's very tissue selective we know that it's very tissue selective in the way that it can solely grow muscle tissue and as soon as you as soon as you exceed therapeutic doses which, of course, as bodybuilders, we do. For example, a therapeutic dose of testosterone is 125 mega per week. We, How many bodybuilders do you know that do fucking grams? Do you know what I mean? It's ridiculous. So the further away you get from that therapeutic dose, the, the worse the side effects start to be. So 
My goal is to pick three or four different substances and use them within therapeutic doses so that we know the long-term effects of them and I've got a better chance of staying healthy. Um, so I'm kind of excited taking that model, to be fair, rather than just like the standard, okay, you're blasting now, let's do 500 megs of test, let's bring in some DECA and use a lot of water-based. I say water-based. Oh my, I've just burped on my podcast. I'm sorry. I say water-based. Uh, ones that are hydro hydrophilic. Yes, that's the right word. Well done. The ones that are hydrophilic and they bring water into the cell. For example, Decker. For example, Dianabolf. You know, those typical watery watery gear. Um, especially with me, because me, this is and this is where the individualization process comes in, right? What have I got an issue with? I've got an issue with potentially my kidneys, right? Because my creatine is often quite high. There are bodybuilders who have lower... That was quite a loud one. Let me just turn my gain down. I, don't, I hope this gain hasn't been too high this whole time. Actually, when I'm looking at it, it does look a bit high. Um, what have I had an issue with? I've always had an issue with my EGFR, whether or not the, the, the creatinine is skewed or not. I've always had an issue with blood pressure. So what is taking something that's going to be hydrophilic, you know, pushing water on my system, pushing more blood pressure? Like, it's going to raise my blood pressure. It's going to raise my red blood count. I've always had an issue with red blood count as well. My red blood multiplies. I literally have to donate every three months when I'm allowed to donate. Um, so... It doesn't make sense for me to use something like an MPP. It doesn't make sense for a lot of us to use something like an MPP because we know that the long-term efficacy of nandrolone is is not really known. And we know that it's actually it's probably one of the ones that affects brain chemistry the most. So we've got to play it safe. And, and, and this has kind of come into my drug choice model um, for clients and whatnot as I begin to take on clients who, who are using and who have used before. Um... So yeah, like that's a little bit of an insight as to how I would choose something. But ultimately, like you're gonna have to go and do the research. You're gonna have to go and look, right? You're gonna have to go type in a drug and look at PubMed and look at the last hundred years of data or the fifty years of data and just see what it was used for, see why it was taken off the market, see why it was originally used. And you can make these informed decisions rather than listening to your mate at the gym and says, "Nah, deck got to be massive, mate. Yeah, it got to be massive." He's like, "Yeah, it might have done, but what did it do to your brain? What did it do to your kidneys, your organs, your blood pressure?" And it just so happens that those people who got massive off Decker and Dianabol probably didn't check those things, right? So I just like to, I, I don't know. I've got peace of mind knowing that I'm taking my time and I'm, quote, someone called me up for saying quote, unquote. They said Josh, quote, unquote, Bridgman. And because, quote, unquote, I'm doing it properly, right? <laughs> um, but, you know, that's just a little bit of my thoughts of where I'm going to go in the future. We're probably going to, I mean, I'm going away this weekend to Corfu gonna run out the rest of july get my bloods done the beginning of august and then and then we'll see where we're at we'll see if what i've done is has improved or helped me at all oh my god i can feel that nice and already my face is getting all red oh we should i wish podcast, i should start filming my podcast really and i could come up to the camera i think i think when i go to when i go to london there should be in it should be six weeks now so Come September, I should be living in London. I'm going to create an office and I think I'm going to put a few cameras in there. Probably just one camera because I'm not fucking Joe Rogan. And I'll start filming the podcast and I'll make a podcast channel and we'll start uploading there for the people that want the, want the visuals there as well. Uh, let's kind of work into some questions after I sip this 3D. Fuck, this nice. It's not making me feel that nice, you know. Fucking hell. Oh, I'm getting itchy. Okay then, Cam Curry, 
I might have said your name wrong. This is one of my clients, so I probably shouldn't say it. Cameron Carey. Carey? Carey. I'm going to say Carey. When working unilaterally, do you rest between sets of left and right? I do. I do. If you're putting everything you can into a single arm movement, odds are it's very taxing. I know that when I do a dumbbell row or even a cable row, a high to low pull, like it is taxing and it, and it will tax you. Um, so I just like to rest. When I'm training with people, we all just do one arm and then we go back to the other arm. I think it makes the most sense, especially if you're using like your weak arm first. You know, you don't want to tax your left arm. You know, in my opinion, do a set, wait for yourself to to get back to a full capacity to exert energy again and then go again. Ideal ingredients and amounts of pre-workout. Uh, so a lot of this is going to depend on who you are, your your response, your individualized reaction to certain things. Some people are caffeine sensitive, some people aren't caffeine sensitive. But a general rule of thumb, you want to be looking at clinical doses of beta-aniline, citrulline, um, caffeine. You can play with things like dynamine and, and, and alpha-GPC if you want a little bit more of a focus, which, which I really like. Um, I mean, there's a lot of different ingredients that you can use these days. Norvaline, tyrosine to kind of take the edge off. Like, so there's a lot. So, But general rule of thumb, you want to be getting like four or five grams of citrulline. And that's not citrulline malate, not to be confused with. Citrulline malate. Um, once that molecule spits, you get a malate molecule. And you get a citrulline molecule, but it's literally a 50-50 ratio. So if you see citrulline mal malate, 8,000 milligrams of citrulline malate, you half that. And that's how much citrulline you get. So if you've got 8,000 8, milligrams of citrulline malate, Half of that goes into malate acid, half of that goes into citrulline. So actually, you only get four grams, which is where companies go, look, we've got 10 grams of citrulline. It's like, no, you've got citrulline malate. So actually, half of it goes. Caffeine, anywhere between 150 to 350 caffeine for most people. Um, the bigger you are or the, the, the less sensitive you are, the higher up that scale you'd go. I like to sit around two, 250, maybe 300 on a good day because I'm, I'm a bigger dude. Um, alpha GPC anywhere between 500 and 600 milligrams seems to get a uh, a pretty good effect. Dynamine pretty low, 25 50 milligrams. Um, tyrosine a couple hundred. Uh, to be fair, you're gonna start. You know, if you if you do buy off Insight supplements, which I'd recommend you do, just because I wish I didn't work. I do wish I worked. I'm glad I worked with them, but even if I didn't work with them, I'd be like, just go check Insight supplements out and just look at the back of. 95% of their pre-workouts and they're going to have all this stuff in so I would look at those what's your opinion on stretching I think stretching is good I think stretching can improve your active range of motion I just wouldn't stretch anywhere near a workout you got to think like with rubber bands we're trying to explode we want to be like a rubber band you want to extend hold that band tension and then explode up that's how a muscle sort of works obviously not exactly but if we stretch that rubber band out and it loses loses its elastic elasticity within the workout you can go into extreme ranges you don't want to go into you can lose that tension a little bit that you might not want to lose um so in my opinion stretch outside of your workout can be really really good for parasympathetic nervous system activation it can potentially increase increase your active your active range of motion which is always a good one um yeah that's my opinion my thoughts on vibrams of bodybuilding so vibrams are those little toe shoes those little shoes that your toes go into and they've got all five toes. Uh, I used them for a very, very long time. Uh, they just stank. They were really, really comfy. They were fine. I think 
I think everyone could do with walking barefoot a little bit more for the health of your foot. Vibrans in particular, they just smell. And like, I know you can wear socks and stuff, but it didn't really feel right wearing socks because you kind of want that barefoot vibe. So I stopped wearing them really. And I try and go barefoot as much as I can. Like lockdown's been a blessing because I've barely worn shoes. And and if I've worn shoes, they've been flip-flops inside. So it's been it's been decent. Three pieces of gym equipment other than the barbell weights, what would they be? Um, a Cybex row, a Atlantis pendulum, and a Nautilus plate-loaded press. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, is there any difference composition-wise, high calories and activity versus lower calories plus activity? That doesn't make sense. Sorry, dude. Doesn't make sense. Uh, any plans on moving up to classic physique? I think a lot of this just depends on how big I am and how big I get. Um, I think that I, I I'm not quite sure what my weight limit is. I know they've just put it up recently. I don't know whether I'll be over it, and I wonder if I've just not got the muscle bellies for it. But I've got a feeling that I might be over it. Maybe I'm not sure. Maybe it's like 95 kilos, so maybe I'll be all right. Uh, it kind of just depends how I look when I get leaner. I've I've only got. Um, I've only got like one smaller push left. So 12 to 16 weeks or so of, of a big push with, with drugs and whatnot. So I haven't got loads of tissue left to gain. Um, I d one day, like 100% I want to get the shorts on. It's what I fell in love with, that posing, the music. I don't pose that well. Like I can pose if I hold, like obviously the poses you see, it's like of a two minute video and I pose it and I pause it perfectly. Same as every Instagram model right? or every Instagrammer. So for me to actually make that flow and look good in every pose, I got a lot of work to do. But it'd be I'd be excited for the challenge, for sure. One of our clothing future releases. What will we see a sweatshirt soon? So the next on the list is a sweatshirt, a long sleeve sweatshirt. I'm just talking to a few designers at the moment, trying to get uh, a nice design done. I'm stuck whether just trying to keep it the same as the other ones as a classic line, and then move on to exclusive. So my idea is to have my classic line, which is the t-shirt, the hoodies. I also want to get a pair of shorts done, the socks, which are very like, it's the logo on a black or a very plain surface. And then I want to go into some more exclusive, but I don't know whether they're just to do that with the long sleeve already. So long sleeve and shorts coming soon, like two or three months. Because it does take a while to get these, uh, it does take a while to get get everything together. My brain, it might just nice and is kicking my ass right now. <laughs> Uh, can walking 16 kilometers a day uh, affect training recovery negatively? Potentially, potentially, yeah, it could. Um, I do think that the that bod that humans are adaptations machines. We are. I've said that a hundred times. We are adaptation machines. So you will probably eventually adapt to the 16 kilometer walk that you do every day. And I think that you'll be in that position where it's probably not going to affect you loads anymore. Um, but obviously that is a lot to do every single day and that's a lot of energy towards walking which could be for recovery and could be for training that's not to say you can't set up your your nutrition better and and, and optimize what you do like you can still do well is it optimal maybe not but if you've got no choice it is what it is uh how to look good year round while putting on muscle uh have the muscle there in the first place don't get too fat be in a small surplus easy do I factor in respiratory exchange ratio when programming cardio? I do not. I think that gets a little bit complicated once you start trying to work out the uh, the respiratory exchange ratio. 
in my opinion. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm completely wrong. I'm doing cardio wrong, but for right now. Is periodization needed in bodybuilding? If so, what type would you recommend? So periodization um, is essentially just periodizing your training. So changing it in X amount of periods, tapering up, tapering down, whatever you need to do. It's definitely not needed. I don't periodize anything. I just have straight sets or straight amount of volume and I just progress the weight within that those volume those set requirements. Obviously volume changes with the weight. And that's all I do. So definitely it's definitely not needed. Um, but it can be fun periodizing your training because you change your training every single week in terms of the sets that you do. Sometimes you can periodize the exercises that you do over a three to four week period even. So if you're if you're someone who maybe gets bored of the same style of training, periodization could be for you. So be good to look into it. Um few more questions. Um few more questions what is your biggest personality flaw sheepy boy you always come out with these questions don't you what was your biggest personality flaw are you doing anything to improve it i think my biggest personality flaw i've kind of talked about this a few times i think is that i'm 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 quite conscious of how i am perceived to my peers maybe less like your average follower maybe less worried about what let's say 90% of the people who like my photo or comment, I'm not so concerned of what they say because you've got to appreciate that they follow you for you, they love you, and you know they might think X, Y, and Z of you positively, and that probably skews their opinion. So for example, you know every post I put up, oh, I can't wait for you to turn pro, it's going to be crazy next year. You know, that might not happen, right? And they're always going to gas you, they're always going to be positive towards you, so... I think for me to ign- not ign- it sounds harsh right like I ignore your opinion even though I ask for it like it's nice to have the general consensus of opinion but I think you can get lost in social media and saying which pose do you think I look best and everyone goes oh they both look amazing it's like you know sometimes you need someone to be like no you look like shit or not shit but like no you need to do this you need to do that and I think that's the issue with social media sometimes but um, my personality floor is for that 10 or that 5 to 10 percent I think I don't know if that's a personality flaw. That's just something that I'm conscious of is how my boys perceive me, how uh, my coach perceives me, how the guys that I admire in my industry perceive me, you know, and I'm not, I guess, worried. Yeah, I guess like I'm I'm conscious of what I talk about and how it's presented and if it's wrong or right because as much as I love most of those dudes who I follow, not all of them will call you out, right? Because that's just not what people do, that people don't watch all your stories and they don't look at all your posts ready to just call you out if they see something wrong more often than not people see something wrong and they just don't say anything right so i'm conscious that i'm saying things that are wrong that people just haven't said that are wrong i'm hoping because they've not said it which would be great that i'm not that wrong so but i think that's something that i'm not i don't know if it's a flaw because i think it's it's quite a compliment to those people that i really care about what they think but it does hold me back sometimes and i do make a post sometimes or i write a write something out or I say something in a video and I think no I shouldn't say that because maybe they'll think this you know and and I'm trying to get away from that a little bit more and just trying to give my objective opinion on things but you can appreciate in a position like this where eyes are on you it's quite hard to just be like that so uh, how do you tell when you fit your natural limit I think you can I think you can hit a, 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 a peak wave like you have that initial fast progression fast here's fast 
a fast progression. Um, within like three or five years, you know, so if you've been training five years efficiently, you probably, you know, you're starting to peak. I would say that curve is very, very long to the peak. So I reckon from like years one to five, it's very, very fast, fast. And then five to seven, it curves off more. And then seven to 12, it's even, even smaller to the point it's like 0.1% progression per year type thing, you know, so it gets exponentially harder. So I think like the real limit is probably quite long, but the potential is probably a little bit quicker, if that makes sense. So maybe like genetically gifted three years, less gifted four or five years, not that gifted six or seven years to hit your potential, as in like your potential physique. Like sure, you can fill in the gaps year on year, but hitting your actual kind of yeah, you're probably going to be this big now. Give or take 15 pound. You know, I think it's going to be pretty quick. That's pretty, yeah, I think so. Um, all right, last few questions as we kind of come to the 30-minute mark. Um, talk about my online coaching. So this is quite a good one, guys. Um, so I'm online coaching without giving out too many tricks of the trade. Everything is through Google Documents now. In fact, no, it's not. That's a lie. Um, I actually have maybe half my clients using Google Sheets and maybe half using Google Drive. I've been slowly moving people over to Google Drive as it's a lot more concise. It gives them a little bit more to do and it gives me a lot more information to track and it makes it easier as well. So I'll just talk about the Google Drive one and for any clients listening who are just on the Google Sheets, don't worry, over the next week, two, three weeks, Hopefully by by the end of July, I'm going to transfer everyone over. The issue is if I transfer all my clients at once, it gets quite hard to follow. So I just like to do, I've been doing three to five clients every single week um, for the last four weeks, maybe. So I've kind of got like 35 maybe or so that are over onto the drive. And the drive will have a photos box. This is giving away my tricks right now, so I hope you take some value from this. A photo box, a training plan box, blood work box if you need it, and they'll upload into those, and they'll date and time all of those things. The training plans, obviously, I date and put phase one, two, three, four. Um, you'll then have your normal Google Sheets, which have been updated, which now have blocked out cells so people can't change them, um, and they track all your macros and calories, along with your weights and activity and whatnot. Uh, and then you've got your education documents. So you've still got the the basis of what I usually use, which is um, a big like education document. So there's three, four, I think there's four, three or four, three or four pages. Um, and by pages, I just mean like tabs. So that they could be one or two pages each. So maybe three to five pages of education on sleep, recovery, food choices, all these different things that I talk about daily just for my clients to have. I then got the the coaching document, the online tracker, which will they'll put all their information, HRV, resting heart rate, all these different things that we can track and they'll go into graphs for me. And then we've got the photos, which which will be labeled and I can go through in order. I also have notes on everyone, which they don't see. Um, I generally write down negative things about them. I'm joking. Um, hey, I have notes about each client as well. Um, I'm in the process of making timetables for each client so we can timetable the year. Um, and I'm just always trying to improve that process. So I think that's that's pretty much what I do for for coaching, I would say. Check-ins. We do check-ins through WhatsApp. I don't have the internet available 
to do videos because if I upload a one to five minute video um, for every single client, bearing in mind that a nine minute video takes me eight hours to upload where I live, I would be uploading for like 700 hours uh, a week. And obviously there's not that many hours in a week, so I can't do it. So at the moment, I just I can only do voice note, um, but we have constant contact through WhatsApp, um, always getting videos, whatever anyone needs to know or talk about, I'm always there. So that's pretty much my coaching process. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. We're in and out. A little update, a few questions. Jobs are jobs good and Bob's your uncle. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll speak soon. Peace, everybody. Bye-bye.